morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, just, my wife dressed me, so I'll just get that out of the way so everybody knows. Okay. Good to see you guys. Want to uh, hit on this real quick. We're going to start a new series after Easter. We're going to go through the book of Acts together as a church. And kind of here's why. We feel like there is a, um, well, we, we know that there's an issue of uh, biblical literacy that faces the church in America. And we, as leaders of this church, want to push our congregation to read God's word. And so we want to come together and do that through the book of Acts. And we're going to provide you and subsidize a study that goes alongside Acts. There's going to be $5. It's written by Max Lucado. Uh, we're going to take some pieces out of here and, and use it up here on the platform. So you can order those today in guest services. I think we've already sold out all the books that we have. Uh, so we've got like 100 more coming this week. So feel free to take advantage of that opportunity. Our desire is that you use these for personal studies, and then ultimately these bubble up into our groups. So just something to think about. Today, I get to bring to you another exciting story of God's faithfulness to his people. Not just his faithfulness, but his goodness. And I hope that you have, through these stories, felt encouraged. I pray that you uh, have allowed God to maybe move some stuff in your life through some deeper understanding. And I pray that your faith has been freshened because of these things. And I can stand up here today and boldly say that I believe 100% that God is working in the lives of people today because we see it in the people in this room. And I hope that you have found some of that confidence through this series. This past month, I'm kind of a nerd in this sense. I like to learn, uh, and I like to learn a lot of different things. Some are good, most of which have no really meaning for me in my life. I'm really good at trivia. Uh, I get, I just remember knowledge that has no, no really bearing on my life. I just remember it. And I, I was reading this article online about uh, the newest roller coaster at Cedar Point. I don't know if anybody here like love roller coasters, uh, but Cedar Point released this newest blurb about their newest roller coaster. It's called the Val Raven. All right, this is what it looks like. All right, I. Okay, I'm just going to let you know, that's not a big fan of roller coasters, so I know that there are many of you out there, okay? So they released this blurb. This is the 17th roller coaster now open at Cedar Point, and I thought it would be fun today to read this media blurb about the attributes of this roller coaster, but to spice it up a little bit, I thought we'd put the virtual reality ride up on the screen. Ron, do, you, do we have that? Yes, we do. Can we pause it? Okay, I feel like we need to take this to another level. Do we have like Kenny Loggins? Do we have any like Kenny Loggins or anything? Oh, great, okay, this is good. All right, so we're gonna go on a virtual ride on the roller coaster here and I'm gonna read you the media release. Are we ready? Your flight on Valraven begins when you board on one of three 24-passenger floorless trains and climb 223 feet into the Cedar Point skyline at a 47-degree angle. Then you'll face your fear of a straight down free fall as the train is temporarily stopped and held into position on the very edge of a 214 foot vertical drop. Let that sink in for a moment, but not too long, because before you get a chance to scream, Val Raven is released from capture and plummets 214 feet before climbing back into the sky into an Immelman maneuver hitting a maximum of five Gs while flying at 75 miles an hour. You'll climb back into position for a second plummet, this time soaring into a dive loop and immediately into a 270-degree roll. A pop of weightlessness will give riders an awesome airtime before entering the station in a fully locked and loaded and upright position. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Val Raven. So, are we okay? Anybody nauseous? We have to clean anything up? Okay. I'm sure that there are many of you out there that see this and like you like, I gotta go do that thing, man. I'm excited about it. I am not one of those people, all right? I see this and here's what I think. Death. Like that's death. I like my life, okay? I happen to love it, all right? I have no desire to experience what it would feel like to plummet 220 feet towards the Earth's surface only to be miraculously rescued at the last second. I have no desire to do that. But many of you do, all right? And I don't get it, but we'll just say this. We'll agree to disagree on this, okay? We'll agree to disagree on this. But what I will say is this. Going to an amusement park and riding a roller coaster is something to look forward to and something to have fun with. But experiencing a life that resembles a roller coaster and its ups and downs and twists and turns is not something people want to line up to be a part of. Today, I want to share with you two stories. Two stories of people's lives that would exceed the limits of the world's best roller coasters. One of those stories comes from a couple members of our congregation, and the other story comes from one of the patriarchs of our faith. But before we do that, could we just jump in and pray here, and then we'll jump in our Jeeps and drive. Father, I just come before you today and just thank you for another opportunity to be here and uh, just to learn and God, I just pray for my words, Lord, that you would use them to speak into the lives of other people, Lord, that your spirit would come and soften people's hearts. And God, we pray that this story that we go through today would just connect with us in a way uh, that you'd move, move some stuff around. And God, we just give you credit and glory for all the things that are in our life, good or bad. And we just ask that you would, uh, that you would just help us to love you more. And we love you, Father, and we pray this in your awesome name. Amen. So the story of Moses is one that many of us in this room are very familiar with. Most of us are familiar with it. We revere him as a great man. He is a pillar of our faith. But I don't think anyone with good sense would, knowing the full story of Moses, would sign up to live that kind of life, to be Moses. Here is a man that has faced hardships for most of his life. As an infant, he is given up by his mother because the Pharaoh is a oppressing the Hebrew, Hebrew people, and killing newborn baby boys. And so his mother abandons him to a river in hopes that somebody along the way will take him up, adopt him, and conceal his Jewish identity. <coughs> he goes into the court of the Pharaoh, and he has to go into exile because he kills an Egyptian soldier who is attacking one of his fellow Jews. While in exile, God burdens his heart with going back to that same place and rescuing his people. He does that through much trials and leads his people on a mass exodus out of Egypt, constantly being evaluated by the same people he rescued, constantly fighting against them, constantly motivating them, constantly leading and moving a begrudged and unfaithful people at times. He is forced to do things by God that he doesn't think he's fit for. He wanders in the desert for 40 years. He is without food and shelter and water for significant periods of times, constantly mediating between a fickle people and God himself. 
And because of one act of disobedience, God will not allow him to lead these people into the promised land that he told them about. So he is without a home for most of his life. This is not a fairy tale story, right? This isn't so much of a happy ending for Moses in the eyes of the world. But when God comes and tells Moses that he's going to take his life for yet another act of disobedience, Moses does not flinch. He blesses his successor, and he serves God well until the end of his life. And this is what it's written about him on his deathbed. In Deuteronomy 34, it says this, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. It's beautiful. I mean, I want to go out that way. Moses was still passionate about the Lord even to the end. He still wanted to lead God's people in even to the end. He was not crushed at all. His, his hopes were not crushed. They did not subdue his faith. And the psalmist David writes so eloquently in the 116th chapter of Psalm this. Precious is the sight of the Lord, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. There is a lot of hope in that for us. Because Moses did not allow the circumstances and the hardships of life to become what he based his identity in. He did not allow the circumstances and the hardships of life to become what he based his identity in. Many of us in this room do. And we would ask the question of Moses, why do you not just get off this roller coaster ride of a life? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just throw your hands up in the air and say, I'm done with this, Lord. I want to go find a nice, quiet place and live a nice, quiet life away from all of this. Many of us in this room would be inclined to do that. So why does Moses hold on? Why does he stay the course? This is a question that I want to answer. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to a second story. In this room... And in this church, in my time here, I have met some incredible people. In these seats, there are an incredible amount of people who are passionate, authentic believers of Christ. And I just want to highlight one couple out of this congregation. Their name is Loretta and Dave Smith. Many of you know them. They have been here at Life Church since its inception. And they have served in various roles across various ministries throughout their course of time here, some of which are just stacked on top of each. They just serve in multiple areas, pillars of this congregation. <coughs> Many of you know that Loretta has recently been fighting against cancer, fighting against the battle. And as Dave told me last week, there has never been a roller coaster designed in the course of human history that would match the ups and downs and the twists and turns that we've faced this past year. And so what I want to do is just let them tell you a piece of their story in their own words. Um, I started feeling very tired, and I just thought it was because I was overweight and hadn't exercised. And actually, it was the blood mobile that came to Life Church in February of 2015. And I went to give blood thinking, yeah, I'll just try this. And they said, your hemoglobin's only at eight. And something in my head said, you know, I think you got a problem. You better get to the doctor. So I went to the doctor that week, and um, in a matter of about three weeks, they got me to a Fort Wayne oncologist, and um, they did a bone marrow biopsy. 
And on March 16th of last year, uh, we went in to get the results from the biopsy, and they told me I had acute myeloid leukemia. And I knew very little about that other than I knew it was serious. And the doctor said, do you want to be admitted to the hospital today for six weeks, or you want to go home and, and be, come back tomorrow? And I said, give me a day, you know. And, you know, so I, um, you know, he told me I'd be losing my hair. So I went out and bought pajamas, wig, came home, cleaned out the refrigerator, and had friends come over and family, and we prayed. And um, just got prepared for an unknown path. The, the first round, which I'll call Plan A, of uh, my chemo, they told me I had an 80% chance of going into remission. So when I went into the hospital, I thought, well, this isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I got to endure six weeks of being in the hospital, but if that's what it takes to get rid of this cancer, I can do that. So after the first two weeks, they did a test and told me that they did not uh, put me in remission. And they had a, a second round of stronger chemo they wanted to put me through, so they put me through that. And uh, two weeks later, the doctor came in. It wasn't my regular oncologist. It was the one on the floor that week. And he said, um, sorry, plan B did not work. He said, you have two to five, two to five months and um, go home and enjoy your family. So what do you do with that kind of news, you know? Went home, it didn't take my kids from Southeast Asia long to get tickets to come home and everybody came home and we had a lot of good family times. And you go out, you plan your funeral, you um, buy cemetery plots, you ask somebody to speak at your funeral, pick out your casket, you do all those things. And the whole time I wanted to um, prove to my grandkids, that at that point I had 15 grandkids, that um, I wanted to practice what I preached. We always had this deal at dinner time. I'd do a lot of family dinners. And I'd tell him um, when the dinner was over, I'd say, keep your fork, because you know the best is yet to come. I said, this is like the lady that got buried with her fork, because she knew the best was yet to come. And I thought, this is my chance to let my grandkids know that I really believe that that's what's, what's going to happen, that the best is yet to come. I think the hardest part of that, that whole journey there was that when the kids from the South, uh, the Southeast Asia had to go back home and we knew that um, we didn't know if we'd be seeing them again. And so I remember um, they, were, they were taken off the van because they were going to leave from Chicago and they all had given me kisses and hugs goodbye and pretty soon one of the eight-year-olds got back out of the van and says, wait a minute, he said, this may be forever and he gave me another hug and a kiss. And you know, things like that are just a little hard. So here's the question for you. If this is the end of the story, which it's not, but if this was the end and Loretta was taken home, was God faithful? Was he still good? Because we have come together over these last three weeks and we have told incredible stories of God overcoming pregnancy issues, overcoming mental health issues, overcoming hard hearts, and overcoming cancer. And we can tangibly see God in the way that he's worked things out in people's lives to overcome these things. But what if that's not your story? What if your story doesn't end with worldly healing? What if a believer that you know and you're really close to died of cancer? 
What if you someday contract a deadly disease and your days end before you expect them to? Is God still faithful in that? Is he still good? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So what he says. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing, us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul seems to tell us in this verse that he still is, even in these light and momentary afflictions. But I want to empathize you with you in your story. <clears throat> there are many of you out there I know who have a tougher script than most do. Many of you out there are in a tough spot, and sometimes you feel like your life is on fire. And I know the question has to be in your head, how can I keep holding on? Why should I stay the course when all of this junk is happening to me? I just want you to hold on to that question because I want to introduce to you another hill in the story of Dave and Loretta. I actually kept feeling better and better instead of the cancer starting to take over. And I think a lot of that was an answer to prayer. And also I uh, went in and saw my oncologist and he took one look at me and said, you look too good for your diagnosis. I'm going to send you on up to Chicago. I have a good colleague up there that uh, may have a plan for you. And so he put me on a, a trial um, over the summer where it was an outpatient uh, chemo drug and it kept me real steady and, and did lower my cancer cells some. So it gave me an extra four months last summer that I, I didn't think I was going to have and I felt fairly decent. Jump in and add some context here. So what we've seen in this battle, we have seen this just fatal, two to five months, plan your funeral. And then she goes into the doctor and it's, hey, you're looking really good right now. Like you, this doesn't match our diagnosis. Let's try something else. And so there's this hope that comes. Five week outpatient, things stabilize, her cancer stabilized, which allows her to, to do an, an inpatient treatment for five weeks in Chicago where she is given a 40% chance to go in remission. But the problem with this treatment is it just doesn't work. And she spends five weeks in Chicago during Thanksgiving, away from her family, away from witnessing the birth of a new grandbaby. And this is a tough time for her because she feels like she gave up five weeks of her life that she could have had back. And so we see this down and up, some hope, and now we're back down again. And just when we think that that's enough, another turn comes into the story. Well, with the five weeks coming to an end, um, they said there was one more trial that they could put me through. And Dave did a lot of research on it. <laughs> and he could go into a lot more detail than you'd ever want to know. But um, they said that it was going to target the mutation I have in, in, my, in my cancer cells. And that I needed to find one that was in the right phase. And it was a long story. But anyhow, we did. We were blessed to find one in Columbus, Ohio, at Ohio State University. And so by, the, by, January, by December 29th, we were up there visiting with the doctors and starting the testing. And by the first part of January, we started the new trial. And it's uh, fortunately, because I wasn't about 
didn't feel like I was ready to be hospitalized again. Fortunately, it's, it's just an outpatient oral medication that I take. Now we still have to travel over there once a week almost, but, um, but they started me on that. And after the first 28 days, my cancer dropped from 53% cancer blast to 12%. And then I went on another 28 days. And just this Tuesday, I got a call just to, yesterday from my doctor saying that I went from 12% uh, to zero and that I am now in remission. So that's just a praise the Lord all the way around. So just a lot of answer to prayer, and we're just so thankful for that. Can we celebrate that as a family? Yeah. What amazes me about Loretta and Dave is just the way they persevere through this battle. They just keep going, and they have not, and they will not lose their faith. And sure, there are moments that they're scared, and sure, there are moments that they're sad, and there are tears that are shed, but they have a peace that no matter the outcome, no matter what happens, that God is with them. And this story immediately brings to my mind a story from the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you guys are familiar with that story. Here's a, a little overview before we jump into a piece of scripture about it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are friends with a, with a prophet named Daniel. And Daniel earns a spot into the king's court, King Nebuchadnezzar's court. And because these three men are friends with Daniel, they are also placed in the court over the area of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant golden image and declares that everyone must worship this image, that they would hear this sounds of instruments and that everyone was to bow down and worship these things. But word comes back to Nebuchadnezzar that there are three Jewish men that will not bow down to this image despite being commanded to. And so Nebuchadnezzar has them brought before them, him, and we'll pick up the action there. This is in Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. These three men refuse to bow down, refuse to bow down. They refuse to give up on their faith. And they essentially told King Nebuchadnezzar that we are going to, we're not going to bow down and we're going to go into that furnace and God is going to deliver us out of your hands. And if not, we're still going and we still will not bow down. In these three men's heads, they fully believe in God's power to save them. Yet, the way in which God would work out his plan for them in this situation was less clear. God's power is sometimes extended to his people in dramatic ways. You see that in the crossing of the Red Sea when, when Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites escape captive from the Egypts. But oftentimes, God withholds his power and his people are allowed to suffer. 
But for these three men, either way, they would not bow down and they would not worship this golden image. And when I read scripture, what I like to do often is just kind of put myself in the story and just kind of think about what it would have been like to be around there. It's a, it's a really kind of good exercise to do. And, and when I hear this story, I think this question to myself, gosh, would I have been that strong? I hope that I have the faith. Would I have bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's image? And I challenge you with that same thought. Whatever the will it is that God has for your life, whether it is to extend his power to you in dramatic ways or to withhold it, will you bow down? Will you bow down? Either way, what will you do? Will you bow down? Or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, will you keep the faith? And listen, we hear stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all of the other stories of our ancient ancestors, and we often like to say things like this, well, you know, they got to see God. They got signs from God. They, God showed them something. If God would just send me a sign, or if he would show me something, then my faith would be strong. I would have all this type of courage in my faith. I'm just going to tell you that's just not true. Because we see God every day. We see God every day. We just choose not to acknowledge it. God has been on the move since the day he made this world, the universe. And we can see it and hear it in the stories that we've told you from this platform. And you can see it and hear it in your own lives if you would pay attention. And you can see it and you can hear it in his beautiful creation. He is bringing all things back to him, all things back to his glory. And so we can endure because he is still in charge. And this is what Dave and Loretta do. They endure, trusting God, leaning on God, and I'll let them tell you about it in their own words. I said Loretta's going to be healed in one of three ways. God's either going to you know, touch her in the night, we're going to wake up in the morning and She'll be the energizer bunny and she'll have a to-do list for me and we're back to normal. Where God's going to use medical science of everything that he's created here, the people that he's given the knowledge to, to put the chemicals together that make these, this AG221 pill work. Or he's going to take her home. But any one of those three is going to be a healing. I mean, I don't know which one God has in store for us, but uh, we all go the way of flesh but I'm not complaining about extra days with my sweetheart, my high school sweetheart. 43 years, yeah, this August. And I think we'll, we'll make it to that lap. But now with this remission, that does not mean that the journey's over. Um, I'm still, my body is still likely to produce cancer cells. So I am going to, the plan is to go through a bone marrow transplant. And so that will be a whole nother series of me going back into the hospital for another five, six weeks and going through the neutropenic stage again where I have no immune system. And, um, but in the end, with lots of prayers and, and lots of medical uh, advancements, the, the goal would be to be in remission and get back to a, a halfway uh, normal life and, and not have 
not have the, the trials that we have right now with the blood transfusions and the platelet low platelet counts and everything that I'm dealt with for the last year. We wouldn't want to change the opportunity to be in God's story, to witness of His faithfulness that He has given us to to not lose our faith and to have uh, believers, whether they're from our our church family or other believers from all over the world that pray for us. I don't ask why Loretta got cancer. I ask what's our part in bringing glory to him through the journey that he's placed us on because we probably wouldn't have turned down that fork, but he's placed us on a path that we just need to figure out what our part is to bring him glory. But you know, I can remember uh, my grandfather was a minister and I can remember, you know, some of the old hymns and onward Christian soldiers marching off to war, you know, as to war. We're, we're in a battle here. I mean, the, the victory is, is won, but we're, we're in a battle. And I, I was never fortunate enough to, to serve in the armed forces, but this is one armed force that I'm in that uh, I'm gonna be the best soldier I can be because I believe. I mean, I don't know what more you can say that I believe. And that's what faith is about. I don't know if you picked up uh, what Loretta was saying there, but this roller coaster ride isn't over yet for them. Um, when they look at this number zero next to cancer, they can praise God and praise Him for an extended amount of time with their family on earth. But the reality is this, is her cells are likely to keep producing cancer, and she needs a bone marrow transplant, and she's going to go for that. But there is a decent chance that that bone marrow transplant doesn't work. And so there is a possibility that this all goes south again. But if you would ask Loretta and Dave this, are they scared? They would say this to you, that they are comforted by and confident in this thought, that their short-term afflictions, whether big or small, will end someday. And they will praise God in the meantime. Because here's the reality. We all will die. Dave said that we all go the way of the flesh. We all should expect in life to suffer. It's a part of our story. You guys in this room probably know that. But there is hope for us in what lies beyond this life. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of the Lord, of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to answer this question as best I can today, why do they hold on? Why do they stay on this roller coaster that is life? Why don't they just reject God? Why don't they just throw up their hands and say, I'm done? Why did Moses, 
why did Loretta and Dave? To answer that, I'll just say this to you. It's because their identity is not based and determined by their circumstances. It has been defined already by their creator. They are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and God is faithful to his family. So this may momentarily phase them, but they will keep moving in the Lord's army one step at a time. And sure, it's tough, but they will concern themselves to bringing glory to God in their circumstances despite their struggles because they know who the author of their story is. They know who the author of their story is, and despite their struggles, he is still faithful. They want to play their part in the story of God well. And look, not all the chapters in the story of God end well, but many do. And it is hard sometimes not to be jealous of someone else's life that has worked out way better than yours. I get that. I get that. Can we plead to God? Yes. Can we pray that God would change his mind? Yes. But he writes the story, right? And you can spend your time arguing all day about the scales of fairness in the eyes of God, but where is that going to get you in life? Listen to what God says to Job when Job begins to, to ask questions about God's actions. This is in Job 38. This is God speaking direct, directly. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Where were you when he laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when he determined its boundaries? Because our life on earth is a vapor. It is but a breath in the scale of existence. And it is significantly smaller in the realm of eternity. What will this breath say about you? What will your breath say about you? That you were concerned about the scales of fairness? Or that you brought glory to God by the way that you handled your business here on earth? The most simple elements to this story, the, the simplest ingredient that we find in Moses and we find in Loretta and Dave is this. It's belief. It is belief that no matter what the deal is, no matter what the circumstances, one foot in front of the other, I believe. You heard Dave say that. I believe. I believe. And that was what his faith is all about. So here's a question for you. Do you have faith that God is indeed faithful? Do you have faith that God is indeed faithful? Do you believe that? No matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, belief that, God, I can't see this right now, and God, I don't know where we're going, but I trust you that this thing may not work out well for me, Lord, but I'm going to follow after you. I'm going to run the race well. I'm going to fight the fight with great effort, and I'm going to keep the faith. Do you have faith that God is, in, is indeed faithful? Dave and Loretta have shown us in the midst of this roller coaster that called their life that he is still faithful, that he is still to be trusted, that he is still to be praised despite our circumstances, 
And I don't believe anymore that we should ask the question, is God faithful? Because we know that he is. And we've seen it time and time again from this platform and other means out there. Now, does that necessarily mean that life will be comfortable? That it will be stress-free? No. But he is faithful. The better question to ask is, are you? Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Because your identity is not determined by your circumstances. It is defined by your creator. The only person that gets to tell this thing what it is is the person that made it. And the only person that gets to tell you who you are and what you do is the person that made you. He's defined you. And you are in his family if you're a believer in Christ. And he delights in his family no matter what our circumstances is. He knows what he is doing. In fact, next week we come together to celebrate the fact that he does. Because we're going to come here and celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. God has written a great story. And we are a part of it. So next week, as we gather here and just praise God for the ultimate completion of his faithfulness to us, Jesus' death on the cross, let's celebrate it. Let's really celebrate that. And as you come next week, I'm just going to ask you this. As you have heard these stories over and over again over these last few weeks, I hope that you've gone introspective, thinking of your story. And here's what I want to ask you to do. In your bulletin, there is a small piece of paper. We would love for you to take some time this week to write your story of God's faithfulness to you. How has God been faithful to you? And then bring them with you to Easter. And what we want to do is celebrate God's faithfulness by bringing those stories and pinning them to these crosses and praising God for the work that he's done in our life. It's going to be an awesome week. And hear me this. Do not miss an opportunity this week to invite someone that needs to hear of God's faithfulness desperately in their life. Do not miss an opportunity. We're going to recap these stories, and then we're going to praise God for Jesus' finishing work on the cross. And we are going to give opportunity for people to proclaim trust and faith in God's faithfulness. And maybe, just maybe, the person that needs to boldly claim faith in that promise is you. Loretta and Dave Smith. It's not about them. And they will be the first to tell you that. They were extremely embarrassed and humbled by this. They did not want their story to be told because they just want to bring glory to God. But they exemplify for us people of bold faith, a selfless disposition. It was never about them, and it will never, ever be about them. It will always be about Christ. And they will concern themselves on this roller coaster ride of a life with bringing glory to God despite their circumstances because they believe. Do you? Let's pray. Father, just thank you for um, this story. Father, thank you that you are faithful. And God, I pray, I just pray for us out there who who are in a journey that is cloudy and they can't see the sun, Lord, that you would use this to give them faith, that you use this to help them to take one more step, that they would not bow down, that they would keep the faith in you, Father. I pray that you would speak directly to that heart today. Father, thanks for our time together. Thanks for being so good to us. We pray this in your awesome name. Amen.